another great guest lined up for you today. Now this podcast, you probably know by now, but it's about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we're going to be diving deeply into topics at the intersection. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, sharing tools and resources, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But before I introduce today's guest, I have one request. Would you be willing to go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review? It's so helpful. It enables the algorithms to find us, helps people find our community, and it also helps our guests get their messages out to more people. It's a small thing, but it means such a lot to us, so thank you. So let me ask you, are you ready to be inspired? Because... Today, our guest on the podcast this week is David Wetton. Now, David helps conscious leaders grow themselves and develop purpose-led, high-performing leadership teams through one-on-one coaching and tailored leadership programs. He runs the Leadership Legacy Program, and the leadership teams he works with experience an increase in trust and collaboration, a growth in collective emotional intelligence, and a commitment to take a stand for social impact alongside excellent financial results. He's recently launched the Conscious Leadership Now podcast, giving listeners access to some of the world's leaders in the field of conscious leadership, both in practice and in thought. So welcome, David. Hi, James. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm excited because we've (laughs) known each other for a while. So I know this is going to be a great conversation. And we have a title. We have Now is the Time for Conscious Leadership. So I'm going to want to dig into that. But before I do, let me just ask you really about, you know, who is the human behind the professional bio? Oh, thank you, Jane. That's uh, that is is a great question. It's funny you ask that one because <laughs> when we do the bio and you ask for a short bio, I always struggle because there's so much behind it. And I guess there is for everyone. And one thing I would say, Jane, and what I love about the podcast arena is it brings out what I say the Celt in me. My my father is Welsh, and and, and a, I have a middle name Clewellyn, which is a Celtic name. And the Celts were known for telling their stories and going on pilgrimages and journeys. So I guess the human behind the bio is someone who loves stories, loves journeys, loves adventuring in a space, and is and we both know Judy Neal, and and is really loves edge walking. Yeah. And she, she names it so beautifully. So for me, one story around the human behind that is I think people journeying into this space, and I'll speak for myself, I don't think you, you're only human if at times you actually question what you're doing and am I going crazy? <laughs> and, and I do remember one conversation with, with, with a dear person called Andrew Dalbeck, who sadly passed away recently, and he was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I had a conversation with him and it was in that conversation where he brought him. I had one of those moments where he brought my life together in the sense in this arena, because I was saying to him, I'm not sure if this makes sense. Am I going crazy? What's happening? And what he brought together for me, I still remember it. He drew this triangle and said, David, you're actually at the intersection here of three areas. The first one is the corpus. You know, you've got extensive experience of working at senior level and even in FTSE 100 companies you understand how companies act 
the second one is the academic side that actually you've got your MBA and actually you took that then in, into Durham Business School around what's the role of spirituality in the workplace. So you're approaching it from a practical evidence-based perspective. So you're bringing that to the table. Then you're weaving in your spiritual perspective, which, mm -hmm. which for me is understanding what gives meaning and purpose to life. And when he said that, he said, look, this is how I do it. And, and he, he was a very generous man. And, and I just really got it at that point. So it's one of those moments that, that I probably had touched my humanity to think, well, actually, I'm not going crazy. There's something emerging here. And as we were speaking before, Jane, it was then bumping into people who were also on the path and having a conversation and knowing, actually, I'm not the only one who's exploring this path. Mm. so it is very much Jane it's very much the road less traveled and I guess the human behind that I guess I don't enjoy sameness right. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense and, and as you know my backstory now recently <laughs> to, to highlight perhaps my bio is I moved down to London to be with my girlfriend here Julie here in London but literally moved down probably two or three weeks before the lockdown came right. into operation so literally sorted and cleared out some boxes just as lockdown was declared so it added a further chaos to my move down to London but then it was adjusting to really deep change yeah. down here in London and I think that's an element of who I am as well you know not being afraid to actually step into challenges to actually face change and I think again we we're speaking about this Jane there's something on the human side of for me I think all of our gifts I love holding space for people yeah. And I yeah. just think, and I think you know, sacred change makers, for me, it is sacred. Mm. And that's a big element of me, where for me, sacred means of deep importance. Yeah. So I love that aspect. You know, even people will say, David, we have a conversation. They will say, naturally, this has gone deep. I never expected to go this deep. But mm. actually, I find that actually they find, I should say, I like enjoy it as well, but they enjoy it. And there's something about, you know, bringing both, their what I call maybe even sacred depths of despair and sometimes sacred heights of hope together and making mm -hmm. sense of it and kind of knowing that actually they're here for a reason for a purpose or something that makes sense of their life here mm. And I love how you describe that. First of all, I didn't know that your dad was Welsh. Yes. <laughs> That's like, oh my gosh, okay, that's news. Um, but also this triangle that you, you're describing there, because for me, you know, that's a, uh, well, for a lot of people listening, that could be quite an unusual, like mm. three things to bring together. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the spiritual, when you talk about sacred, for me, that's the energy you've always held in our relationship for me, is you seem to be someone who holds space so incredibly well, but you don't just hold space, you hold sacred space. And you were one of the individuals that really helped me step out with sacred change makers. Because <laughs> I remember talking to you about every time I write sacred on my documents, it changes it to scared. Like, and I, <laughs> like, what is that? Um, and you, you somehow gave me a definition of sacred that I could hold, which was really just something to be honored and revered because sacred was a word I'd run away from most of my mm. life. Mm. And so I really just want to thank you for that. And I want to ask you, like, your journey, you say you're someone who likes journeys, and you've got to this point of clarity with this triangle of spiritual, academic, and, and corporate. But I just wonder, like, what was your journey 
to that? Like what's brought you in life to this space where you hold such an incredible sacred space, but yet you're able to bridge these different worlds? Mm. And actually that might go back in part to my Welsh dad. (laughs) (laughs) Because bless him, actually, um, he was... um, he did change his business, but initially started out life as a school teacher. And he worked in, um, in a school in Wolverhampton in one of the poorest areas. And it so happened there was a diverse collection of students that were in his school. And so actually he worked with, you know, there were Muslims, I think there were Sikhs. There were, there were people of all races and, and shapes in the school. And it wasn't a large school, but actually because of my dad's passion, he was able to create um, a real community with them. And a lot of them were perhaps have come out of, hadn't got proper homes or families and used to take them on holiday each year through the school and they'd do this marathon walk. And you know what, Jane, it, it's, it's this impact. I come back to sacred. I think if you connect with someone on a sacred level, mm. it's a profound relationship because even now, and we're talking how many years on, probably 50 years on now, he still holds some gatherings with these these pupils and they turn up and many of them come up to me and said and say with genuine authenticity you know your dad was my dad so he had this sense of connecting with people whoever they are Mm. so i think he really installed that in me at an early age which i'm really grateful for so i think one of the threads of my journey was being curious across humanity really Mm. Um, and I think you know as as I reflect back now it's kind of like well I've come in on a with all the privilege cards stacked in my favor Mm. but have really at the same time explored across the different diversities and have really felt a real passion to meet that and and be an empowering presence Mm. uh, for you know a voice for inclusion Um, that is really you know important for me whilst whilst working on my own you know inner work so i think i think my father's influence on that was important and i think also then stepping into uh, one stage it was actually i stepped into um, a methodist church and and i think i had all the jobs apart from minister within (laughs) within this church and but then then if you get the, the sense of i then explored outwards so you know i became part of a group which was churches together so I was interested to see how not just methods, how the other churches were. Then I joined in the West Midlands, something called West Midlands Faith Forum, which then got together the faiths in the West Midlands. Mm. So it was this, this, this hunger actually to understand, I think, how, how humanity could come together, how humanity could actually work together. So I think this sense for me, my things probably came off the back of that, you know, okay, picking up a job, which you do from university, but then weaving in this aspect of the MBA really for me was me understanding more areas. Right. You know, so my, my dissertation there was actually on understanding the links. So actually, how do you get an organization to actually work together? And I'd always, I'd always been attracted, Jane, that when, although I qualified as a chartered accountant, I was always one who was out in the business. So we were both at BYs, you know, as, as, know. <laughs> in, in those retail days. But I yeah. loved being on the road with, with the sales team or actually speaking yeah. to the marketing team and really understanding what was going on. Not only helped me on the finance side, from that people perspective, I, I really felt it. I had a sense of, of, of a depth of an understanding of of what was required or how how i could support them or how i could be a presence there 
So I think there's, there's something around that journey of actually joining people together. We were talking mm-hmm. about networks before, weren't we, as we came mm-hmm. on. So there's something for me about, you know, through my life, actually, how can I, how can I support? empower people how can i link people together so actually the 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 sum of the whole is greater than the parts and i love that beatles story you know that actually the four beatles together collectively were always greater than any one individually or two or three of them there was something special happened when the four of them came together Mm. and i really firmly believe that that actually when the people come together in a way that they in perhaps let's call it you know in this sacred way they're open they're vulnerable they're sharing a purpose there is magic that happens, I think. Mm. Um, and the final element for me, although I've spoken about the Methodist Church, it really pushed off probably now, it's probably about now 14, 15 years ago when I took a trip to Holy Island in northeast England. And as I say, I fell down a deep spiritual hole for a week. Mm. And, and it just moved me into a deeper space. And the only way I can describe it was I had a real um, embodied sense of, of oneness not a oneness that we're all the same, but a oneness in sense we're traveling together. And, and as I said, you know, that we celebrate, celebrate our unity through our diversity. And there was a deep sense of love around that. So I think, you know, through that, and that took me into a journey with, you know, if you remember the um, Make Poverty History campaign, I got involved with, uh, with climate change. And so I got involved with kind of humanity coming together. And then when you take that back into the corporate world, you know, as I think we're now seeing this happen where, you know, we've been talking about the UN development goals, climate change, people working for home. What's the purpose of this business? How do we work for the greater good of all? This appears to now be on the agenda. So I guess I look back at my journey. It's kind of saying, well, that was for a purpose, David. At the time it felt like, Hey, am I going crazy? I haven't just followed, gone into an industry and stayed there for 30 years. I've moved around. Yeah. I think that's another thread, actually, that wherever I go, I can normally connect into people, what they're doing. You know, I've been in the health sector. I've been in, uh, in a retail, uh, been in charity sector, manufacturing through my auditing. So I normally get a sense of what's, what's important to the people who work in those areas and, and hopefully speak their language. That's another one, I think, actually. So it's, that, it's, it's connecting, I think, connectivity. That's what, that's what I enjoy. And I think we're here to enjoy that as a human race. And it's lovely to hear you speak about that because, you know, I get a sense as you're talking about what well, you call them threads, the different threads mm. that have weaved their way into the tapestry of your life. And, you know, I think there's something very powerful about when we live a life in that way and we extend out and, and travel and, you know, journey into different worlds. And then I think it gives us a much wider perspective. And that's certainly what I'm hearing with you here. Um, But we know our title is now is the time for conscious leadership. So tell us about why that's an important like sentence for you. <laughs> well, actually, it's come out of what, I, what I've just said because um, you know, we said at the top of the program, I have started this the podcast called Conscious mm. Leadership Now. And it was actually born out of, out of this time of lockdown because I was here in London, lockdown, thinking, well, just having a sense that actually things are unfolding, how can I support it? And then I realized actually that, that I have been blessed by journeying around the world and meeting some incredible people in the world of, of 
what I'm going to call conscious leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing actually that I've learned a lot from them. And if I can bring them onto the podcast and they can share some of their wisdom and their knowledge, that they in turn will touch other people. And there was just a, just a, a vision or a sense of, and I always like that vision of, you know, a pebble going into the pond and spreading out. Mm. I've no idea who they may touch, um, who might be touched them, but there's a really beautiful thing of saying, actually, if it's just on this podcast, if it just touches one person, that's enough that that's with the intent of saying actually to support them to that, that thing again, empower them and support their, their, um, their profile in the world, their visibility to say, actually they're doing something here, which is to be, to be applauded. Mm. Uh, and there's something around, you know, and the themes that are coming through, because I always ask them, you know, what does conscious leadership mean to you? Uh, and the very first guest I had on John Rennish, who's from San Francisco, who coined the term conscious leadership, Bless him. The first thing he said to me was, David, I'm so pleased you asked it. What does it mean to me? Because he said there are so many different definitions and consciousness as itself is, as he says, it's ineffable. It's difficult to describe. He said, I'll give you my version of it, he said, but actually it can mean different things to different people. And in some ways, Jane, you know, conscious leadership is a bit of a paradox because once you try and tie it down to a definition, it kind of is a bit like um, water going through open hands. It disappears. Mm. but at the same time people can grasp it if that makes sense that when you get two or three people together on this sort of conscious leadership journey it's almost like they recognize each other there might be different flavors but they're like different flavors in a beautiful fruit salad or beautiful ice cream bowl or whatever it is you know there's there's a resonance there and they bring in almost like a different element and you're probably finding on this podcast you know it's it's beautiful then to actually hear the stories and what they're doing and what they're passionate about and they all i think everyone is here they feel like they're here they want to make a difference for the greater good of all Mm, and i think that is and so so i think that's you know coming back to you know the conscious leadership i'm kind of saying well i think it's time has arrived because people are getting actually that yes we need to make a profit to be sustainable that's important but it is about the greater good of all And, and speaking here for the uk you know, during this, you know, pandemic to actually see the people on the front line, the refuse collectors, the people in the supermarket, obviously the NHS workers who normally may have been considered to be all, you know, lowly paid service workers have suddenly become like heroes who've kept us going. And I think there's been a sense then of humbling, I think, the C-suite to actually really consider actually these people we have on the front line who maybe we've treated as as assets to hire and fire are actually putting their life on the line, not just for this organization, but for the greater good of, in this case, the British people. And of course that's replicated throughout the world. So I think conscious leadership then is raising that awareness of saying, actually, these are human beings here and we're in this world together. And actually we want a world for the greater good, not just for, to make a large profit or, you know, what am I, what difference I'm actually making? And I think around conscious leadership, James, one of the questions I ask is, you know, to, to the execs is what's the difference you're looking to make to the world through this organization. Mm. And I think it's that sense as a passion behind the conscious leadership. There's then an awareness of, you know, them being on their own journey uh, what that means then when they relate to others. So I always talk about self, others, being and doing, and then there's a beautiful journey that's, that's unfolding for them. And I think there's people at different stages in this journey, so I don't see anything as being 
right or wrong. It's just where they are. And they just, there's a sense they want to commit. They want to take part in this journey. They want to make a difference. They want to be the, the best that they can be. You know, as we said earlier, we might thinking, you know, with, with pandemic arriving, thinking about, you know, death and our, the sense we will leave. We want to do the things that we want to do before we leave. And we want to actually be, I think, of service. And we want to feel we're on sort of some sort of journey which does have purpose and meaning. And does include, the pandemic does include our family, our communities, our friends. It's not just the work going into a silo. It's actually realising that we're connected, you know, across the community, across our nation, and of course across the world. Hmm. So let me ask you, because um, you answered a lot there and uh it was re- it was really interesting hearing you speak to all the different facets that go into like our title here but i'm i'm kind of really interested in digging into this word conscious right mm. <laughs> because it's one of those words that in my experience is is uh is kind of misunderstood sometimes in organizational life and also like, and it's the same with the word sacred. A lot of leaders that I meet don't feel that those two words go together, like conscious and leadership. There's sometimes there are people that believe they're almost like polarities. I can either be sacred and conscious, or I can be in business and a leader. Mm. <laughs> I just wondered what your sense was of that. And if you notice any shifts as we come through the the pandemic and you know we're kind of emerging back into the world again at different rates in different countries but I just wondered what your sense is of that. Well I, I, it could well be I think before the the pandemic you know the sense of, of what does conscious mean what does consciousness mean was perhaps it was perhaps more of a term that was you know, expressed through some of the religious communities, particularly perhaps the Buddhist ones or those that went on, you know, monastic retreats across the the different faiths and they were going and doing the work on the inner journey and maybe had some understanding around what consciousness meant. They might be looking at some of the models around this. You know, we've spoken before, I'll just pick one, you know, the spiral dynamics level uh, models with different levels of, of group consciousness. They might have an awareness of that. There was a sense that that was perhaps, you said, done outside of the business arena. Mm-hmm. So they weren't kind of perhaps bringing that fully in. And I think it was then probably um, maybe about 20, I think it might be about 20, 25 years ago when, there was a group, and it wouldn't, Andre Dalbeck, who I mentioned early on, who spoke about that, that three-leg triangle, is one of the people, I consider him to be one of the grandfathers of spirituality in the workplace, but a group started to emerge of both academics and the management and the practitioners as well who were interested in this, who started to actually say, really, and one of the ones that I linked him with, you know, he just said very simply, I'm tired of going to work, hanging my jacket on the peg, being someone who I'm supposed to be in that culture and that work environment. And then as the workday comes to a close, put my jacket on and being someone else when I go home in my community and with my friends, you know, I want to be, I want to be authentic. I want to actually be myself in the workplace. So I think when you're talking about bringing the self in, that brings then talking about awareness, the conscious self, bringing the whole person to work. I think that's one of the phrases he, worked, you know, he spoke about. How can I bring my 
whole self to work. So I think there was, there was a very dedicated group of people who started to really explore this. What does it mean to bring my whole self into the workplace? And I think one of those would be uh, Dr. Lynn Sedgmore, CBE, who also has been on, on my podcast, who I know well, but really explored that with the organization she was in. She really embodied it. And she was in a difficult arena with, with the further education. And if she didn't get the results, she knew she would be fired. But, but she actually said, I knew this worked, the, the conscious leadership, because it produced results for me. So they couldn't fire me. They weren't together sure what I was doing. So she introduced the Enneagram and certain things into the workplace. And actually, do you know what, Jane? She actually gave the staff members a budget for conscious type of work for development work, which at the time was kind of groundbreaking pieces of work, but she really got at an early stage that this was important because she saw that as people developed, they actually had a greater job satisfaction. They actually were able then to bond more deeply as a team. There's a deeper level of trust when they work together. And she just saw actually they were then producing brilliant results for the, for the customers who are in tune with the customer's needs. Um, so there's something about, and what she did actually is, and I've spoken about this, you know, the conscious side of things, how the consciousness or if it's spirituality, how can I be, um, a monastic in the workplace or how can I take my spirituality to a deep level in the workplace and, and actually still not only produce the results as a far financial perspective, but actually have the people, you know, the well-being actually have some tremendous results with that as well. Mm-hmm. So I think taking conscious into the workplace, I think what, what's happening now, Jane, what I'm seeing is I think the pandemic has actually, um, it's opened people up to other things because they've, you know, we've, we've had some very hard circumstances that we've all gone through together. And so I think it's opened people up to have more vulnerable, more difficult conversations. So things such as consciousness, spirituality, faith, or whatever that is, or meaning and purpose, are now coming out onto the table because it's almost like people thinking, well, I've got nothing to lose now Mm. because something has opened here that actually it seems okay to say this because I've spoken perhaps about how scared I might be about the the COVID-19, how perhaps... People have lost, you know, work colleagues or, or people know, you all know someone who's had, you know, the, the, the coronavirus and has, has suffered through that. And so it's almost like we've recognised our mortality and it's like, actually, before it's too late, let's talk about the things that really matter. Mm. I hadn't, and, yeah, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but it, fe- it really resonates what you're saying. Let's now, you know, we realise our mortality. Let's talk about what matters. So what does matter? David, well, well, I was giving an example. I was speaking <laughs> earlier, weren't we, about about. I'll pull an example from today because it really was. Yes, this is wonderful. So, you know, working uh, working with an organisation today, where you know after after the the, the murder of George, George Floyd, they had sent out a statement, you know, around Black Lives Matter and supporting that, but they actually said, you know what, we don't just want a statement. We actually want something where actually we're going to make a difference in our organization and a difference then out in the world. So when I went in there, they actually used the word depth. We want to go deep with this. We want to know what it means to actually embody our response in our organization with all of our staff involved. What does this mean? So my piece of work is going in and helping them actually do that. And it's a deep piece of work. But 
they're really truly committed to that and as i said you know we do not want this training to be just a tick box exercise so yeah. i think that's another change that actually people are kind of saying actually you know let's just picking on this one diversity and inclusion perhaps more and more saying actually we no longer want this to be actually we've done that training now we'll tick that box it's no actually what does this really mean and so they were asking great questions such as we have values in this organization what's the, each of those values mean in relation to diversity and inclusion how can we actually use our values to help embody you know our stance in the workplace with all our customers our stakeholders so you know right from the ceo he kind of saying i want people to know i'm committed to this and that he was being vulnerable around this saying actually I do not have all the answers on this, you know, that, that I've been part of this issue as a white male. Isn't that beautiful to hear that vulnerability and, but that willingness to really engage in an authentic manner. And I just sense when these conversations happen, it's not just the diversity inclusion agenda. It kind of opens up the whole, the organization around this aspect of what do we value? What are we, how are we making a difference through this organization? How are we serving the greater good of all? Mm. You're asking some great questions there that, you know, I think a, a lot of us right now are kind of grappling with in some ways. And, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the client this morning and the Black Lives Matter, because, you know, I've been having some conversations as well um, with, with different clients and different people and realizing that there is a growing hunger to not just tip our hat or check the box for Black Lives Matter, mm. but to actually immerse ourselves in the subject in a way that can give us a much deeper and maybe embodied understanding of what that means. But how to do that feels a little bit lacking at the moment. It's like we, it's almost like, and I'd love to get what your sense of this is, but it's almost like, like no single person can have the answer. It's almost like we do need to come together and reimagine or redefine what this is calling out, calling forth from us. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, what's your sense of it? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think today, you know, there, there were, um, you know, a black member of the executive team there as well and saying, actually, we are saying, you know, we are, we are in this together. Mm. Um, but a sense of, and particularly, you know, I'll speak as, as a white person, the other, the other thing I, I was hearing is actually, it's almost a paradox, actually being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. Because it is actually asking us, I mean, as a white person, you know, difficult questions to face, to look at elements of, of history, to look at elements of, of culture, you know, how... I've been brought up where I've been brought up, what I've been taken to accept as the norm. Mm. But it does come about then, Jane, to, you know, a lot of podcast guests talk about, you know, conscious leaders being, stepping into their awareness. And that it is a question of awareness. You know, we spoke today about biases, you know, conscious or unconscious biases that people carry. And those can be uncomfortable because it can bring up elements of, blame shame or, or, or sadness or, or things and so we're back to you know we spoke earlier that actually it, it, it's back to quality then of how you hold the space around this and so i guess it, it's challenging i think it's putting out a real challenge to organizations and, and i think the people i've been speaking to that you know working in this area are a sense of actually 
saying actually let's step in let's embrace this you know one person I, I spoke to just said you know get over yourself you will get it wrong but actually let's step in here together because this is important this yeah. is something that touches all of humanity and it's it's a time to get our our hearts and minds around this you know this issue and and what we actually said today you know i shall name actually one of my colleagues monica monica douglas she actually kind of said very wisely said this issue of george floyd of race it's like a big domino has been tipped mm. and it's set off a rail so he said actually it's of course it's not just about race because we have other elements you know as we know gender sexuality religion age ableism all of these but actually this one domino has kind of opened up the conversation so once people enter into that conversation with sincerity and depth, my sense is then you can't, then how can you then possibly then tick box the exercise on the other elements? Because that's not authentic. Right. right. So yes, we are going into difficult space. I'm sure there'll be leaders, there'll be people listening that will be very challenged by this. And I think part of my role is to actually hold a space to say, do you know what? I really see the challenge here. And when you put it in the terms of unconscious bias around neuroscience, for example, there's a great book that I read, which is called The Neuroscience of Inclusion. Mm. And my goodness, when you read from that neuroscience perspective, it's like, well, actually, this is how it's come in. And actually, we can work to actually start to take this apart and let go of some of these elements. And, and this, is, this is something that is, you know, that is possible for us to do. And I think what's happened, Jane, I think the pandemic has also opened up these doors of possibility. Mm. You know, if you'd said before we would close down, we would stop all the planes, we would close the businesses, everyone said you're being stupid, that's impossible. Yeah. We have done though. <laughs> we have done it, haven't we? So I think yeah. that's another glimpse it's given us, as well as someone once said to me that actually, you know, like George Floyd, for example, no one you know, in the States, they weren't watching, you weren't watching, you know, the baseball, the American football, going to the cinema, all these distractions weren't on. So actually what you were watching was what was happening with that. So people were really aware of it. So almost a pandemic has brought an awareness, hasn't it? It's, it's given space for reflection. It's almost kind of pointed people to this is what you're putting your awareness on because actually there's not a lot else to look at at the moment, but you need to look at this. <laughs> Yes. And, and finally on this one, Jane, because a lot, isn't it? I sense that how can an organization not be impacted by some of the stories, no doubt, they've had, whether they're big or small. And as they're looking to, as we say in the UK, looking to come back out of shelter, out of lockdown, I'm sure a lot are then considering, actually, do we want to go back to business as normal, as usual? Mm. Because that was, it's been such an unusual time. What is, how do we now want to position our business in the world? And a lot of businesses have already, as they say, pivoted anyway. But from a, from a, a relationship perspective, from a team leadership, from a staff perspective, how are we now working together as, as a team? How are we actually then relating to our, our suppliers and our other stakeholders? Because no doubt they've been impacted as well. So it's, you know, we've all been in this together. So in some ways it's... Um, you know what I say you know it, it's a poorly wrapped gift it's a gift you don't really want the pandemic but I do believe we probably look back in history and say that it was a gift mm. I love how you've reframed it as a gift because of course and I don't want to uh, kind of undermine the trauma that 
is happening mm. right now because you know not just health and well-being but financially as well for a lot of people this is in many ways you know i i think of this as soul defining times in a way but what interests me and I, i'd love to ask for your take on this um it wasn't it was monday i think i was actually came across a, a video from an indigenous shaman who was talking about this time as a, a sacred time mm. and something that had been foretold. And he actually um, spoke, it was actually Lynn Twist from The Soul of Money that was interviewing him. And he said that, yes, this has been foretold, but what we have to realize is that the pandemic had been sent by Gaia, by Mother Earth, to... Um, to to stop us to pause us for a time of deep reflection because that was beyond the capacity of humanity at this time we weren't able to do that for ourselves so something needed to come to make us do that and he talked about this as sacred times and i just wondered what you made of that david because i know you have a deeply spiritual side to you as well well, well thank you for raising that i, I think the um I believe what, what, what's coming to the forefront, it isn't already, is actually the, the deep wisdom within the indigenous, you know, uh, populations. Mm. Um, and how really that, that wisdom at this time has been looked down upon, has been dismissed, you know, as have the populations. And I really got this probably, I'm probably going back about 10, might even be 10, 15 years ago now, because there was a there was a famous um, quantum physicist here in the UK called David Bohm, mm. and he was quite well, well known as a quantum physicist. But he, he was actually an advisor to the Dalai Lama, so he got interested in quantum uh, physics and also spirituality. Now the importance of this is I went to uh, a gathering for David Bohm, and it was held by the Science and Medical Network. And the absolutely fascinating thing was they had I think a quantum physicist was there and he was stood alongside uh, an indigenous person. I think it was um, someone from it, from an Indian tribe. And he was saying actually <laughs> to explain quantum, which as you know, some of the spiritual people are saying, actually we're living in a quantum environment and it's starting to explain some elements of spirituality, which the mystics were, have been aware of down the centuries. But this quantum physicist's work in this area said actually this indigenous person, how they understand things, they they, the way they relate to things, is giving me an insight into quantum physics, which I hadn't had before. Mm. So mm. suddenly this knowledge was elevated to a sense of actually I'm turning to you because I can't understand what's happening in these complex areas, but you have an understanding of, of, of what it's all about. And I, I also think some of the profound understandings of, of that culture teach us so much at this time, you know, as about, I think one of the ones I heard saying, you know, that actually the, this concept, they don't have a concept of who owns the land, the land belongs to everyone. Um, and as you said, this connection back into, in, into nature and really understanding nature and the, the, the cycles of time from my own faith background, Celtic spirit, Celtic Christianity, Celtic spirituality, there's such a great depth of beauty and knowledge once you actually get an understanding with, with, the, with nature. And for me anyway, one of my practices is to go out into what I call big nature. So whether that's by the sea, whether it's mountains, 
those big rivers, which kind of takes me into a, not only into a sense of awe and contemplation, but it's quite often the place where actually I tap into my best ideas. Mm. And so we're seeing, aren't we? We're seeing scientists and spiritual people um, who were speaking about, you know, the field, how there are things that, 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 that are out there that can be explained in the quantum field in nature, which probably the indigenous people are smiling at and said, yeah, we know about that. <laughs> That's what we work with. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting to me how, you know, we have got this and, and some of the narratives that I see running at the moment about like, what are we going to emerge into? Where are we headed? Right. And as you talk about the indigenous and a simpler way of life, I notice a group of people that are, are, are running that narrative, similar to what you're talking about there, about there's a lot we can learn from big nature. There's a lot we can learn from the indigenous that's been lost. And then on another, if I'm to talk about a polarity on the other side, I notice people talking almost like about the future of tech and how everything's going to be AI and automated. <laughs> and it's like these two things are almost like polar opposites. And where I've been really like getting curious is, yeah, but what's the yes and there? What's the best of like the indigenous and the simple? Because they almost on first glance feel like they couldn't reside together <laughs> and mm. i just wonder i wonder if actually there's an integration there's something holistic from the indigenous and the ecosystem piece that could inform the tech and i just wonder like really where are we headed and is it going to be either or and is one of them going to win <laughs> like i'm not sure it's fascinating <laughs> It is. <laughs> that is a really, yeah, that's, that's a really deep question and kind of ties into one of my questions, which is, you know, what is the, what is the purpose of this thing we call life, you know, yeah. through the various lifetimes, which, which, which again is a great question. Cause as you said, you know, we can, we can get particularly in our Western capitalist society tied up with producing things, making a profit, doing this, having a whole profile of what we do as we grow up and retire and do things. And part of that, as you said, is, is development of science. And juxtaposed, as you know, put alongside that, as you said, you know, the indigenous knowledge and, and nature. Yeah. What's going to happen with, with, with those two together? It's just, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> I just know that actually for me at the moment, what I can say, as I said, going back in, I know that, I know that actually big nature can actually then resource me to come into the, the world that I'm in in, in a way like, like no other. Yeah. And, and so for me, I don't see the two as separate. Mm. So I would like to think it was anything there that actually those, and it was interesting, wasn't it? Do you know what? You just made me think of something that, and again, I might be going back 15, 20 years. It might be an example that Judy Neal and Edgewalker's book talks about, but at one point rank Xerox mm -hmm. were sending uh, some of their uh, inventors, their engineers out into the wilderness on wilderness retreats in order to actually tap into something to come up with new ideas for new products. Right. So here's an example perhaps of technology going out into the literally the wilderness to actually perhaps call, you know, because people are talking, Rupert Sheldrake talks about the morphic field and there's mm -hmm. scientifically there's a field out there. I think it's NASA approving that the space between us is not empty. There's, there are, there is 
there's you know between people there's things there so maybe there's something from a science perspective that actually begins to understand that actually nature is a is a resource to which is sacred which you can actually teach us, which we can actually draw on, which we get resourced by. And we know, don't we, Jane, that as humans, as we put two bare feet on the ground, me anyway, you know, in the sand or on the bare feet, it literally does energize us. Oh, yeah. So we're not separate from, from nature. And perhaps what we have forgotten, some of us, you know, coming here down to central London where there's a lot of concrete around, you know, where you've got the artificial light, I think that doesn't help people because actually they can get disconnected from the natural rhythms and nature. And part of my passion is I do believe that we're here. It brings a great deal of wellness and enjoyment to actually really connect to the different seasons, to connect with nature, to get out into nature. There's something really important about that. So I don't know where it's going between the two. That's a great question. I don't have an answer to that one. And, it, you know, it, as I was listening to you talk there, I was thinking about some consultants that I know that work in biomimicry with leaders and organizations. And, you know, and I, I kind of think about, of course, business and leadership and where we're headed. And for me, one of the things I'm curious about is if we are really headed towards, because I kind of see those two polarities as almost it to put it into words in a way like sacred and business, like put those two things together because it has a very different texture than just business or just sacred. And mm. then I think sacred technology, like what's that in service of? Because technology right now, I'm not sure what it's in service of. I mean, I'm, I'm, of course there's tons of different answers for different tech pieces, but I know also that there's some technology that is learning from biology and is starting to bring that in. And so I'd love to have your sense, David, of, <laughs> you know, these integrations that are being called, uh, or they feel to me, let's let me own it. They feel to me like we're being called to integrate some mm. different worlds right now, build some bridges. So are we headed towards, I mean, you've said conscious leadership. I'm saying sacred business. Is that where we're headed? <laughs> <laughs> it could well be actually what, what what i want to say first is actually this if you think about the technology just think actually during this period and before how we've used you know technology such as zoom and the other ones that are available if i stay with zoom how really that has brought people together how the internet actually has really expanded our, our awareness has given us access to things we we we've never had access to before to people across the world so there's a sense that actually in that sense technology has brought us together technology has actually enabled well-being i remember a demonstration of someone that i know within google who actually used their technology to someone who was confined to bed was able to uh, direct someone to take photos out in nature for them coming back to nature and they had such a, a delight because they thought that was finished for them. They used to love photography. But through the technology that, that Google had provided, they were able to direct people and take photos. And it felt as close as they could do that they were taking these photos. Um, so I think that perhaps there is a step towards, you know, using technology. Why can't we use the technology? Sacred, you said sacred technology for the greater good of all. 
Mm. So that perhaps is where, where, where technology comes in and coming back sacred business. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be, I think that is absolutely so because do you know what? Here's something someone once said to me and, and I've carried this around with me. They said, David, either everything is sacred or nothing is. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That just hit me then, yes. <laughs> but it hit me and I remembered something. It was almost like I knew it, but I'd never heard it vocalized. So yes, because that has been my experience with the word sacred after you know, going through my own resistance to using the word professionally. And now it's almost like I look at everything and I just place the word sacred there and it changes the texture of how I relate to it. It changes the way that I hold space for it. It changes the relationship quality, the resonance, it changes everything for me. So, so I guess if I'm allowed to, my challenge to you, Jane, is, is as you're speaking to people, if they're in technology, ask them, what I'm for you to. is sacred technology? What is sacred business? What's sacred medicine? Yeah. What's sacred yeah. manufacturing? Yeah. Interesting. It'd be great. And I would love to ask, you know, from armed forces here, what's sacred armed forces? You know, would someone yeah. then say, actually, do you know, within this, we do need a peacekeeping arm to that. And here in the UK, Jane, I did go to Parliament because I campaigned for a minister for peace oh, you know a minister of defense yeah. but i campaign for a minister for peace so once you put sacred in yeah. what does it mean for the you know uh, the military to be sacred yeah actually i think we ought to be working to support the bringing of and that was one of the things in the pandemic again where un were issuing statements out saying actually we need to stop the war because you're both fighting but you both got the risk of the pandemic so you better stop fighting right <laughs> <laughs> But but just just come back to sacred because I think those listening, I think it's really important. When I just pulled up my um, leadership legacy program, it's really interesting because sacred is important for me on there. And before you know the sacred change makers, I'd taken mm. sacred on. So the steps I had was was around. I'll just name them very quickly. So this question to leaders: Who am I? I said sacred meaning. Mm. Then their values: What do I value? I then said sacred self. Yeah. Then how do I live my life? It's then sacred purpose. Then developing my character, which for me is the shadow side, Donut Soul, etc. But then I had it as sacred depths of despair. Then finding my inspiration, which was sacred heights of hope. Then honouring others in, you know, in my relationship with others was then sacred relationships. Then this aspect of leaving a legacy for the greater good of all was sacred service. And then finally, it says, actually, when you work with me, it's not the end. You're continuing a leadership journey, which is in and out of work. So actually, it's my sacred life journey. So there's a weaving with the word sacred, isn't there as well? There is. And I want to ask you, what does it, what does it do for you when you put sacred or you, you integrate it with all these things you had there in your legacy program? What changes for you? For me, and I'm doing it now, actually, I, I, I slow down and I, I take a yeah. breath in. It actually yeah. does slow me down and, and I loved, I'm still <laughs> resonating with that. Either everything is sacred or it isn't because it's quite profound because it, it, it's, it's a game changer that to find the sacred in this situation. And, and it ties back to one of my mentors, you know, in, in my, as you know, Jane, I'm an interfaith minister. So I'm here for mm. people of all faiths and those of none, but of the couple of paths I really like Christianity, Celtic Christianity and Buddhism. But in part of my training in the Christian faith, 
Um, there's a group of us and we're all eager and saying, yes, we'll do this X, Y, Z and we'll take God out to so-and-so or divine or the sacred out. And the mentor said, do you know what? Wherever you go, there God is, there the sacred is, there the divine is. So it's not about me bringing the sacred into the situation. It's about me actually helping them to see the sacred was there all along. Yeah. That feels really true when you say that. It really feels true because in many ways that this, I've not used the word sacred. I've used the word resonance in many ways. And for me, resonance incorporates, incorporates all levels of consciousness and at the very high frequencies that it's very sacred energy up there. And not that the up is better than the down at all. It's just different. Right. And, and that for me is, it's an, again, it's a process of uncovering. And the more I work with change, David, the more I work with people in change. And I've been doing it now for decades, just like yourself. And I start, I'm starting to realize that the great insights are not in learning new information or stuff, but almost uncovering the things that are already present that we've somehow learned to ignore. <laughs> We have, haven't we, Jane? And, and I, I, the, image, the image for me is, and I'm sure you've got the same, is that when you're working with people, the image I've got is like, it's almost like I believe each and every person, it's like they've had a jar of treasure which has been buried and actually they've lost the map, they don't know it's there. But I think part of perhaps when you're working with them and I'm working with them, other than the same field of working with them, suddenly actually not only do they sense actually I do have treasure, suddenly they then discover where the map is and they go and find it and start to you know unearth it and there's something beautiful about that that actually mm. actually it was here all along yeah yeah it's not that i've had to find some knowledge or information do you know what this was with me this was because quite often they say which i think is true that those things that perhaps we're born with or we've developed that's our innate skills quite often we don't even recognize it in ourselves because it's a second nature yeah yeah absolutely and that's been my experience with my calling i mean i I laughingly joke about the fact that i've gone from having a job to a career to a business to a business with a purpose (laughs) and now i have a calling right but for me that was not creating a calling or it was more about uncovering the calling that was already there. Yes. yes and so yeah. I'd love to ask you, you know, these times, Joanna Macy's calling it the time of the great turning. And as you know, at Sacred Changemakers, we, we talk a lot about callings. And I just wondered, like, what is it that you're reflecting on right now in terms of your role in this transformative time? Well, actually, I had a, an insight probably a few months ago, which I just thought, oh, my goodness, that's the thread for me that I hold. So um, it took me back. When, when I ordained as interfaith minister, we get to write our own vows. And there's just a line in my vow that really stands out for me. And, 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 and it was, as far as what I'm doing in the work, it was actually, may I love, honour and nurture the divine in all those I meet. So, you know, we were called divine. It could be the sacred, whatever people want to use. So there's a real sense that actually, and, and it's also, you know, may I love on a nurture divine in myself. That, that was important too. 
but there's something around actually that that the work that i'm doing it's not just me i think everyone has this once you bring that divine the sacred to be present in the work somehow it transforms the work it transforms the results it brings a whole expansiveness to it so I, th I think the thread for me is always, isn't it a delight to know that every working with, there's, there's always the, that sacred within them. So actually for them to actually, it could be confirming, tapping into that, knowing where they may be using it, they might feel they're not in the right place for them. They may want to do something in the organization which taps into the you know, sacred in, in the other people. There's something, that for me is an element of this, this calling of saying this time is ripe for this sort of work because people want to want to have this sense of, of connection and meaning and purpose and connected coming back to the top almost top of the podcast sacred and for me meaning of deep importance so once you ask people what's really important to you here that's when it slows down again and it's like wow that's a really great question i'm not dashing around trying to fill in five spreadsheets i'm just <laughs> sitting and just reflecting on what's really important to me here now you know in this moment this organization in my family in my community in my friendship groups and i think a lot of people reflecting on that at this moment in time as well yeah oh and that just for me you've just put into words that are given voice to the shift that i feel when i bring the word sacred to anything and uh, you know that I do when I combine that word it is about honoring what's important what wants to flow through me in relationship to that so I, I love what you've just said there um David I'm noticing the time and I, I don't want to take much more of yours but let me just ask you a final question um if there's something you'd hoped that we would talk about today something maybe that you want to share with our listeners maybe that can help them in some way especially if they're not familiar with like sacred or divine in any way i wondered you know like what would it be hmm. i think it would be to you know the pandemic has is being called isn't it that some people call it the great pause hmm. So I, I would say actually to to honour that great pause in themselves, to actually ask themselves the question, what is this great pause asking me to to be and to do? And I love the aspect of of our doing coming out of our being, mm. the reason why I'm here. So you know, so they may what have what have they actually what's what's actually have they enjoyed? What's been what's been a real ha-ha moment for them during the the pandemic you know as you said you know there's been suffering lots of jobs lots of people there's been something they've really sort of looked back and say actually that was a changer for me that life changer that it could well be actually i spent time with a family and actually i enjoyed seeing other people's children on, on the zoom links what really spoke to you and how can you really expand that out for you and and and, and bring a sense of deeper sense of maybe sacredness to it and, and make a difference in the world for you. I love how you're helping them find that gift you were talking about earlier. Um, that just sounds like that's what they would do if they find the gift that's hidden in all of this. Love it. David, 
Thank you so much. That was just an insightful conversation in so many ways for me. And I know that, you know, our audience are going to really enjoy um, everything that you've shared. So thank you so much for giving us your time and energy today. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on, Jane. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening in. But before we go, let me ask you, are you passionate about change, right? Are you looking for more meaning and purpose, maybe a little more of the sacred in your life that you've heard us talking about today? Well, if so, we invite you to visit us at sacredchangemakers.com where you can sign up for our five-day program, Awakening the Changemaker Within, and just come home to yourself at the very core. We believe that within each of us lies that possibility to unleash the full potential of humanity. And change can be a regenerative force for good. All change begins within as personal transformation, which can then be expressed within our professional lives and ultimately creates a regenerative social impact in our world. Again, you can find our free program at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing network of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us keep doing our work in the world. So if our episode resonated with you today, we hope you'll consider joining us. And for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the work you do to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.